Would you please turn with me to your study outlines that you're going to find there in your program. And as you turn, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study of God's Word. also want to welcome our friends in Arco, Idaho at the Baptist Community Church and also our friends at Purpose Church, Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad that you're joining us today as well. We're starting a new series called Love Like That. Uh, five Relationship Secrets from Jesus. If anybody knew how to have healthy relationships, it was Jesus. If anybody knew how to love, it was Jesus. So we're going to talk about how to love like Jesus. Five Relationship Secrets from Jesus. And our theme verses for this uh, five-week series is Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 2. Watch what God does and then do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us, love like that. And so I am so excited today and, the, and the, all the Sundays of, of May, we're just going to talk about how to love like Jesus. And so the first relationship secret from Jesus is to be more mindful and less detached. More mindful and less detached. So the first thing that keeps us from loving like Jesus is our detachment from other people. The invisible gorilla test. And it was developed by Harvard researchers, Dan Simmons and uh, Christopher Chabri. It's been used for 20 years. How many of you saw it previously, like in a psychology class? Okay, so, so how many, those of you that saw it, did you not see it the first time through? So I should have asked the question, how many didn't see it the first time you ever saw it? The point of this test, it's, they've been using it for 20 years, since 1999. The point was to show that we are not as attuned to our environment as much as we think we are. In fact, we often miss what's right in front of us. Uh, we have many people in our church involved in law enforcement, and they will tell me that eyewitness accounts are not as solid as you think that they are. Eyewitnesses' accounts, sometimes we're just not aware of what's right in front of us. Robert Davies wrote, the eye sees only what the mind is prepared to comprehend. Now, compare that uh, to the mindfulness of Jesus, the mindfulness of Jesus. There were four biographers of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they used the word uh, 40 times that Jesus saw something, or he saw this person. That's used 40 times in the four biographies of Jesus. And when he, quote, saw, he was almost always moved with compassion. Matthew reports this. When he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. Now Luke tells a story from his biography of Jesus about Jesus in the city of Jericho. Now Jericho was famous back then for it had great palm trees. It also had these whole groves of balsam groves, groves of trees that would make the air smell wonderful uh, for miles around. Just this wonderful smell all through Jericho and these beautiful palm trees. And it was also right near the Jordan River. So it was this awesome place to live. And as a result... It was one of the most highly taxed towns in Israel, just like Southern California. Beautiful place to live, but one of the most highly taxed. We pay taxes to live here. And so it was part of the Roman Empire, and so Rome did not use their own soldiers to collect taxes. Instead, they got citizens, Jewish citizens, from the towns of Israel in order to collect 
taxes. Now, can you guess how popular those tax collectors were? They were seen as traitors. Uh, they would rip off the people because anything they were able to collect in taxes above and beyond what the Roman government required for them to have, uh, that would go into their own pockets. And so they got very, very wealthy by ripping off poor people and ripping off middle class people. So it's one of those, when people saw a tax collector, they saw somebody they hated. They saw a traitor, but Jesus saw something different. Uh, in Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Now most of us, when we, we pass through life, and we often don't see the gorilla in the room, all right? We kind of pass right through. And we're so concentrated on what we, our, our agenda is, what we need to do that day, seeing the balls being passed by the people that were in white, that we don't see the obvious sometimes. But Jesus was one who was mindful and not detached. Verse 2, it says, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. That means he had other people underneath him ripping off people and then giving him a cut of what they collected from the people. And as a result, he was very wealthy. Verse 3, now notice the repetition of the word see. All through the story, it's like a bunch of different times. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. Okay, Everybody else just saw a traitor. But Jesus looks up and, and he sees him in a different light. And said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of all my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham, or saying a child of God. For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came to seek, to see and to seek and to save the lost. Jesus was mindful. He saw what other people uh, didn't see. I want to give you a quote here that's in your study outline from Les Parrott. Um, just a little bit of a side story that I get a kick out of. This is Les and Leslie Parrott. And they're probably the most famous marriage and relationship speakers in America today. Uh, but my daughter, Leah, didn't know that. And uh, she and her husband and family live up in Seattle. And so she goes to a mops group, a mother of preschoolers group there at her church. And one of the table leaders one day got up and just shared devotions. And, and Leah called me and she goes, Dad... Man, I was just in my mom's group, and one of the table leaders, just like one of the small group leaders of a table of seven or eight young moms, one of the table leaders got up and gave devotions, and, and she was like, like really good. I said, well, what was her name? She said, Leslie Parrott, and so she didn't know who she was. That's like saying, you know, this guy Billy Graham gave the invitation, and it was like, it was like really good, or Bill Gates left the tap tip, and it was, it was bigger than usual. Anyway, I got a kick out of it. Les Parrott, uh, he writes... Where others see, saw a paralyzed man, Jesus saw faith. Where others saw a political traitor, Jesus saw a new disciple. Where others saw crowds of harassing people, Jesus saw people being harassed. Where others saw sinners, 
Jesus saw people in need of mercy. How did Jesus see what others didn't? It comes down to being mindful. Now here's the definition of mindful. Mindful means giving others special attention. Kind of like that usher I talked about last Sunday, who he, he, other people you know, saw a homeless guy. Uh, this usher saw a, a, a child of Abraham, a child of God, a son of Abraham. And so he treated him with special attention. Can I get you something? Can I, can I sit you down, give you a program, give you one of the magazines? You know, sit down. Let me, is there anything else I can get for you? Special attention, being watchful, attending to details, Little nonverbal behaviors that often speak more loudly than words to express affectionate interest through close observation and gallant gestures. Gallant, that's an odd word to use. Well, you see, it takes bravery to do this. You got to be brave, courageous to look beyond the superficial. The gallant person goes where others may fear to travel. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus went beyond just what everybody else saw. He had the courage and the bravery to go where other people would not go because once you see those needs, you're, you have this compulsion to, to help meet those needs. Now, what keeps us from being mindful? Uh, there's one word, agendas. Now, agenda, I don't mean this anything fancy here. Your agenda is nothing more than your immediate goal. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. Every morning we get up and we have agendas. We've got to get a certain thing done. Or we want to do a certain thing for fun. Or we want to experience a certain thing. Or we need to accomplish a certain thing. So every day we get up and we have an agenda. That's just our immediate goal for that day. And your personal agenda is that powerful force that compels you to keep focus on your goal. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, nothing wrong with that, as long as you're able to hit the pause button sometimes and see the needs and agendas of other people. That's the moment we become mindful. Nothing wrong with having a personal agenda. Okay, today I need to do this, or I want to do this, or experience this. But nothing wrong with any of that, as long as we're able to hit the pause button and, and stop and slow down enough to see the needs and the agendas of other people. That's when Jesus was mindful. That's how we become mindful. Now, if we can't ever hit the pause button, it's what's called egocentrism, where we just kind of are only focused on our own agenda. Now, now, let me just warn you, loving like Jesus is not efficient. The most efficient way to live life and to meet all your personal agenda items is just to never look up from that, that goal and to never see the agendas or, or needs of other people. L loving like Jesus is not efficient. It can mean losing control of your schedule. How many of you, like me, hate losing control of your schedule? I hate losing control of my schedule. Oh, man, I, I, I was so convicted when I sat down to write this sermon because um, my wife, Kimberly, she wanted to talk to me about something at the house, but I had to write my sermon. So I'm like, yeah, 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 as I'm walking out the door to write a sermon on being mindful and pausing long enough to hear somebody else's agenda. So I'm like, you know, what a hypocrite. But at any rate, uh, just doing the best I can. So, so it, it can mean losing control of your schedule. Mary Webb wrote, if you stop to be kind you must swerve often from your path. Now, if you turn the page of your study outline to the second page, and you look at the bottom, you're going to see a little test called how mindful are you? And it's got 10 questions, 
and you can rank yourself one to ten on each of them. It adds up to a perfect score. Jesus would get a hundred on this. Probably none of the rest of us will get a hundred on this. So it's ten questions, and um, if you're bored with the sermon, go ahead and take the test right now. Okay, just just go ahead and take it right now. But if I still hold your interest, take it uh, later on. Okay, here we go. Here are the here are the ten questions. I'm aware of thoughts I'm having when my mood changes. I ask God for wisdom to recognize needs, thoughts, and feelings in other people. I'm intentional about sincerely being my best self with others. That is, I'm not trying to move on to the next thing. I'm trying to be my best self in the moment with that person that I'm with. Uh, Recognizing and acknowledging what others are thinking and feeling comes easy to me. I'm very aware that when someone else is feeling embarrassed or emotionally wounded, uh, I manage my emotions very well. I set aside my own immediate plans and goals to help someone with their personal agenda. I listen for and am attuned to God's promptings for me in relationships to others. I'm mindful of God's presence with me. I hear his whispers. And then number 10, I'm good at relaxing my own busy schedule in order to tune into somebody, uh, someone else's. Now, one of Jesus' favorite ways of teaching was by telling stories, or we call them parables. And there's about 50 different stories that Jesus told, and, and here's one about the need for being mindful. And we call it the parable of the, or the story of the Good Samaritan. Let's skip down in Luke 10. Let's skip down to verse 29. Jesus is talking to a man about being a, a proper neighbor. And the man asks the question, and who is my neighbor? So Jesus tells uh, this story. And in this story, you encounter a Samaritan. And so fill in the blanks with a Samaritan is anybody you uh, just can't stand, a group of people you can't stand, or anybody you just don't like. So just fill in the blanks. If you're a Republican, put Democrat. If you're a Democrat, put Republican. You know, uh, uh, just just fill in the blanks. Uh, some people have even said to call it the parable of the good Nazi. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, that's stretching me a bit. Uh, and, and yet, uh, just put in there anybody that you, you just don't like that's another group of people that you don't care for. So, in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, like a pastor, happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man... He passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, there's not a pastor, but a church staff member, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, like I said, fill in the blanks. Uh, the Jews didn't like Samaritans because they worshipped idols as well as worshipping God. Uh, they believed that they protected criminals and outlaws along the highways that the Jewish people went down. But just kind of fill in the blanks. Any group of people that you don't particularly care for, any person you don't care for. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. A denarii was a day's wages. So take whatever you earn in a day and multiply it by two. That's how much money he paid. And gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, 
And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Uh, A parable, a story on being mindful of the needs and agendas of other people. Now, I I read something the other day that was just so, so powerful um, by Martin Luther King Jr. And, you know, when you think of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., you think of his sweeping speeches, his famous speeches. But you forget, I, I forget, and most people probably forget, he was most of the time just a regular pastor teaching on the Bible, like, like I'm doing right now. And some of these sweeping speeches were just kind of, uh, kind of sidebars or little, um, little rabbit trails on the part of a sermon he was preaching to a people like we're doing right now. And, and so uh, one of his most famous messages is, I've been to the mountaintop, which is what he spoke the night before he was assassinated. Uh, I've been to the, to the mountaintop speech is one of the most famous ones and particularly poignant because it was 24 hours before he was assassinated. But that, that speech was right in the middle of just a regular old sermon on the Good Samaritan. And so he had an insight on it that I'd never really seen before. Uh, usually when you think of the parable of the Good Samaritan, you think of the priest and the Levite, their problem was they were just so busy they had to get to do something, and so that's why they passed the guy by. And, and certainly that's part of what was going on. But here's another insight that, that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had that I, I, I really love. I want to read you part of that sermon. He says, but I'm going to tell you what my imagination tells me. It's possible that those men, that is the Levite and the priest, were afraid. You see, the Jericho Road is a dangerous road. I remember when Mrs. King and I were first in Jerusalem. We rented a car and drove from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And as soon as we got on that road, I said to my wife, I can see why Jesus used this as the setting for his parable. It's a winding, meandering road. It's really conducive to ambushing. You start out in Jerusalem, which is about 1,200 miles, or rather 1,200 feet above sea level. Now, can we pause for a moment? I really enjoyed that moment. Did you see, just see that, what I just said? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. made a mistake in his sermon. I, I find that really, um, really, really comforting. You know those things that you'll see me do more and more as the years go by when you say one thing and you meant something else? So uh, he said 1,200 miles. He meant to say 1,200 feet. So every time I make a mistake, every time I get forgetful and say one thing and you, I say Moses and you know I was talking about Noah or, or you know, whatever, a hundred different ways, you know what I'm talking about, right? Whenever I do that from now on, think to yourself, oh, he's just like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That, that does exactly what he's like. I digress. Uh, he started out in Jerusalem, which is about 1,200 feet above sea level. And by the time you get down to Jericho, 15 or 20 minutes later, you're about 22 feet below sea level. That's a dangerous road. In the days of Jesus, it came to be known as the Bloody Pass. As you know, it's possible that the priest and the Levite looked over that man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were still around. Or it's possible that they felt that the man on the ground was merely faking it and he was acting like he had been robbed and hurt in order to seize them over there, lure them there for a quick and easy seizure. And so the first question that the Levite asked, and this is where it's really good, the first question that the Levite and the priest asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? 
But then the good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question and said it this way. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Isn't that awesome? The Levite and the priest, their problem was, is that their, their main question was, if I stop to help this man, what's going to happen to me? But the good Samaritan in Jesus' story, he comes by, he flips the question and says, if I do not stop to help this man, what's going to happen to him? And that's how we love like Jesus. That's the difference between what we normally do and what Jesus sets the example to do. I'll just pick on myself. I go through life saying, if I stop to help this person, what's going to happen to my schedule? What's going to happen to me? Uh, But Jesus, if we love like Jesus, I need to ask the question, if I don't help help this man or woman, what's going to happen to them? Mindful not detached, no, not so absorbed with my own agenda that I can't swerve from my path for another person's agenda. Uh, Paul wrote to a little town called Philippi, uh, which was a city in ancient Greece, and he wrote to the Christ followers in that city. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That is, do nothing just for your own personal agenda all the time, but rather in humility Value the agenda of others above your own. Not looking just to your own interests or your own agenda, but each of you to the agenda or the interests of other people. That's how we love like Jesus. Paul also wrote to a group of Christ followers, followers of Christ in a city called Corinth in ancient Greece. And he said, there's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today and gone tomorrow. But the things we can't see now will last forever. We've got to slow down enough to see the eternal. We've got to slow down enough. We've got to hit pause sometimes on our busy day or our busy agenda to look around because all during this upcoming week, God is going to have opportunities to minister to people that are going through hard times or or just to see people. And to see God's plan for them rather than just our own agenda. Uh, The word intuition comes from the Latin word inturi, which means uh, to contemplate. And so we've got to slow down enough to contemplate what's going on in our lives and in the lives of other people so we can can get in touch with the eternal. So we can see what other people don't, don't see. A recent survey of over 20,000 Christians, 20,000 Christians between the ages of 15 and 88 found that busyness is the greatest challenge we face in being mindful of God. How many of you would say amen on that one? Uh, 60% say that it's often or always true that the busyness of life gets in the way of developing my relationship with God. And when it's just pastors that are polled and asked the question, it bumps from 60% up to 65%. Now, let's skip down to Psalm 46, verse 10. Uh, Here's what God says. He says, be still and know that I am God. Slow down enough to be still and to hear what God is saying about how we should meet the needs of others and how we can develop a relationship with him. Now, this is one of my favorite illustrations, and please forgive me if you've heard me say it uh, before but I just love this illustration so much. Uh, back in the 1800s, when they still had telegraph operators and they would tap out Morse code to communicate across long distances, 
in the 1800s, a young man goes into a telegraph operator's uh, business in order to apply for a job. And there's several other young men there in the waiting room as well. And there's a big sign that says, wait until you are invited in by the boss in order to be interviewed. Stay in the, lo- in the waiting room. Do not come into this office until you are invited to come in. And so the young man sits there, and it's chaos in this telegraph uh, operator's uh, business. It's just busyness and people shouting and a hubbub and faintly in the background the tap, 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 tap of the Morse code going on. And after a few minutes, this young man gets up and walks in uninvited into the boss's office. And the other guys are like, well, he's not going to get a job. He disobeyed what the sign said. And a couple of minutes later, the boss comes out with his arm around the young man and says, sorry, guys, I filled the position. I just gave it to this young guy right here. And they said, what's up with that? He disobeyed what the sign said. Well, see, come to find out that in the busyness and the hubbub of all that, the young man had sat down. He had been quiet enough to hear that tapping quietly in the backdrop, in the background, was Morse code on the telegraph operator saying, if you can understand this message, come into the office. The job is yours. (laughs) And and I love that that story so much because that is just like a picture of our lives, isn't it? They're so crazy and they're so busy. But if we are still enough to know that I am God, if we get quiet enough, we can sense that he's here, he's there, he's speaking to us. We slow down enough to be mindful and grow in our relationship and our awareness of him and also in our awareness of the needs of other people. And we put on pause our own agenda in order to reach out and help meet the needs and the agendas of of somebody else. Uh, James 1, verse 5, James writes, If any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you have trouble figuring this out, and it's hard, when do I follow my agenda? When do I follow somebody else's agenda? How do I get in touch with God's agenda? If you lack wisdom, just ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. you got to slow down enough to see what others don't see. The, the English word for wisdom here is derived from an old Anglo-Saxon word meaning to see. And in the Greek, it means clear. So to see clearly. If any of us can't see clearly what we should do for others and what we should do in our relationship with God, ask God and he'll, he'll, give, it, he'll give it to us. C.S. Lewis writes, We may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. He walks everywhere incognito. And I love this quote by John Ortberg. John Ortberg says, attention is so valuable, we don't just give it, we pay attention. It's like money. It's so valuable, we don't just give our attention, we pay attention because it's just like money because of its value. Uh, as As the praise band and the student worship choir come back up, let's just get before the Lord right now. And let's just have a moment of quiet. Let's just, let's just slow down for a moment and, and, and let's just obey that verse for just a minute here before we have some closing worship. Uh, be still and know that I'm God. And let's just take this moment to ask God, God, would you help us to be more mindful and less detached? To, to like Jesus, hit the pause button and slow down enough to see the needs and the agendas of other people and not just our own personal agenda 
to get in touch with your plan and your purpose and your agenda for our lives, not just rushing ahead with our agenda all the time. Let's just take a moment to do that um, right now. Lord, thank you that when we slow down enough, like Jesus, to be mindful and not detached, that then we can say in the peace of that moment, it is well, it is well with our souls. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said.